I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. And we're going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. And as always, dad is an energy and it is not a gender. It's kind of this weird thing happening this week where this week of films that we're going to be talking about is our lead up to Halloween, but the episode is coming out almost a week after Halloween. Yeah. As of this recording, Halloween is tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, man. That's yeah. <laughs> Halloween <laughs> is so great. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, so it's a little it's a little bit odd because we've watched a lot of creepy peepy movies, but it'll it'll all be post Halloween. But honestly, watch horror movies whenever. Halloween's a year round endeavor in my brain. True, truly, yes. Um, but before we get into the nitty gritty of the episode, something really exciting is so our last episode we. We're lucky to have our friend Lori, the host of the podcast Queer Horror Cult, joined us in watching films last week. We had a great conversation. It was really fun. So we did a little tit for tat, if you will. And we were on Lori's show, Queer Horror Cult. Uh, we were unpacking uh, and having a spoiler-filled episode and breakdown of the, the film that we covered last week, Knife and Heart. And it was great to have a conversation where we could just delve right into spoilers. And yeah, because we don't ever do that. <laughs> no. Um, and that was her mystery movie pick when she was on. So it was really exciting to talk about something that meant so much to her um, on her show. Just uh, if you're going to go listen to it um, and you want to watch the movie ahead of time, it's on Shudder. It is has a lot of sexuality and sex and nudity in it and a lot of violence. So just... Heads up for those of you who uh, don't love those things. What are you staring at? Nothing. <laughs> okay. You should absolutely go listen to the episode of Queer Horror Cult that came out yesterday. Um, we were super excited to have that conversation with Lori and so grateful that she had us on her show. I can't wait to be back and have her back on ours. Yeah. 
super fun. Great conversation. Glad we got to unpack that film, which was my personal favorite from the uh, list of films that we watched. Go check it out. Queer Horror Cult. And check out Knife and Heart before you delve into that. Okay. This was a great week of movies. I feel like we say that often, but we've been just racking up the awesome the awesome films lately. Um, and ha- having some really cool and unique experiences of watching these movies. The settings of which we're watching some of these movies is, is fantastic. So let's kick it off. The first movie we watched this week was uh, The Shining. It came out in 1980. It's a horror drama. This is the version directed by Stanley Kubrick and written by Stanley Kubrick and Diane Johnson. And of course, based on the novel by Stephen King, um, as loosely based as it might be. It stars Jack Nicholson as Jack Torrance, Shelley Duvall as Wendy Torrance, Danny Lloyd as Danny Torrance, and Scatman Crothers as Dick Halloran. If you've never heard of The Shining, what is wrong with you? (laughs) Um, But I'm going to give you a little synopsis anyway. So a family heads to an isolated hotel for the winter where a sinister presence influences the father into violence while his psychic son sees horrific forebodings from both past and future. Hmm. So we had a pretty, like you said, unique experience of watching this because Metro Cinema uh, had a showing of it in 35 millimeter, mm-hmm. which was apparently the first time that a film has been shown in 35 millimeter in something like six or more years in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And they also spoke to the fact that there are very few theaters in North America, I believe it was, mm-hmm. that have the capability of showing 35 millimeter and they are one of them. Um, and it was a sold out show. And oh boy, was it sold out at a certain point. There was no more popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> you had to wait half an hour to get popcorn. Um, you and we went with our good friend Ashley, which is a theme this week. At the last minute, you were like, Kate, we want to we wanna go get popcorn. And you came back empty handed. Yeah. Ashley and I dipped out because we're like, we're like, okay, we're, we're, we were seeing a double feature. The second film we're not talking about, we went and saw the film House, which we've already covered on the show, which is why we're not going to talk about it again. But Metro is doing a back-to-back of The Shining and then House. So Ashley and I are like, we walk in and we're like, okay, we want popcorn, but the lineup's a, a little bit out of hand right now. So like, maybe we skip popcorn for The Shining and we'll get popcorn for House. But about 10 minutes to show time for the shining. We just looked at each other and you know, the popcorn scent is wafting in the air and we're just like, no, nah, we need to get popcorn now. So we stepped out huge lineup for the concession that like wrapped around the lobby. And then we also noticed there was a huge lineup of people that were waiting for popcorn that had already ordered it. There's just so many people that they weren't making popcorn fast enough. So there's people waiting for popcorn to be popped so they could get it. And we're like, we're not going to, this is not going to happen in 10 minutes. I don't want to miss the beginning of the movie. But you did get popcorn for the showing of house. Yes. Um, This is a common thing that you do where you're like, no, I'm not going to get popcorn at the theater tonight. And then you walk into the lobby and you smell it and you're like, "Mm, yeah, I am going to get popcorn. There's something about the magic of just when you walk in and it it hits you, you're like, no, yeah, I think I'm okay with popcorn this time. And then that smell hits you. Oh, the old factory. (laughs) The old factory, indeed. Um, maybe that's why I don't get that, because uh, my sinuses are garbage, pee-pee-poo-poo, and hey, I can't smell anything. So, um, I just wanted to say, too, like on the piece that you mentioned about 35 millimeter, just how theaters don't really do it. Everything's kind of digitized now or comes on discs or that's how it's viewed. And that's so wild, the transition and how quickly that happened to the point now where 
it still feels like digital is so new but to have so many movie theaters the the majority of movie theaters not even have the ability to screen anything on film anymore is wild that that's turned around like when i worked at the theater everything was on film yeah and you are a person who knows how to do it yeah you could spool a film reel couldn't you yeah i loved it we got we got an Cut extra your finger off almost once doing that this is true we got an extra ten dollars uh per movie that we would build or tear down and I, I would love just spending my whole shift up in the projector booths putting together and, and taking apart movies. And now you just put in a disc or eject it, I guess. A little less romantic. Well, it's going to be interesting to chat about what that experience was like, considering for most of our lives, that's how we were watching movies mm-hmm. when you went to the theater. So to go back to The Shining, um, what did you think of it? Um, this is one of my favorite horror movies. Yes, um, we've both seen this many 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 times before yeah. we met each other and since we've seen i've seen this probably upwards of 15 times yeah no same and it's and and this will come up with a later film that we watch is that my parents had a pretty robust collection of vhs films growing up and being such a visual person i would just sit and just look at all of them and just kind of wonder what they were about and and just kind of fixate on covers I really liked. The Shining was one of those covers that I really liked because it's it was the iconic photo of Jack Nicholson's face through the broken door. Mm-hmm. And there on the back there was a little screen grab of him of him just looking aggressive from the film. And I'm like, what is this all about? Like, it seems creepy. It looks creepy. It says horror on the on the spine of it. Um, so I feel like I watched this when I was like pretty young. I don't know when the first time I was that I watched it. Do you remember when you watched it for the first time? Well, my experience is different because I read the book first and I do remember the first time I read the book. Um, so the shining was the first Stephen King book that I ever read. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. You don't, how do you not know? I don't don't know if I knew it was the first one you ever read. That's cool. Yeah. And I, so, um, for folks that know me well and for you yourself, Elliot, it is no shock that I, um, I like to be sensory deprived. (laughs) So I'm, especially when I read and I always have. So I had a little like setup in my closet. (laughs) (laughs) I had a really big room growing up. I had the biggest room out of uh, my, like the four kids in my, in my family. But I would, I had this little like area that I had set up in my closet where I would go in there with like a a flashlight and close the doors and I would read. Uh, And I remember reading The Shining when I was about 12. I think it was the summer before grade seven. Um, and it was the, it's a big book. It's like somewhere in the 400 to 600 page range for a, you know, 11, 12 year old. That's a, a large book. And Stephen King books tend to have small type too. They, so. they do. And it was the, it was a mass market paperback version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved it. It scared the shit out of me, mm-hmm. but I loved it. I think it might've been I don't know. I read The Shining, Carrie, and It in pretty quick succession. And I Just have banging off the hits. Oh yeah. And I have read I have a whole shelf like quadruple stuffed with Stephen King books. Mm-hmm. Um, including like five copies of Dreamcatcher with like <laughs> why. It's neither a great book nor a good film. Um But yeah, this was the first. And I actually I can't place when the first time I saw the film was, but I know it was after I saw the saw after i read the book mm-hmm. yeah okay so yeah interesting but i feel like we i feel like we both saw it pretty young 
and have been watching it for a really long time. I think I was definitely in junior high. It was definitely pre-high school. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Memory is a silly, slippery thing. It's also entirely possible I had seen it before I read the book. But mm-hmm. in my memory, I read the book first. Right. And I have never read the book. I know the major plot points <laughs> of the book. <clears throat> You've but, never read the book. Yeah. So I have some catching up to do. <laughs> but I do know the like major differences because this The Shining, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining is is... It's pretty well known that Stephen King hates this version of The Shining. <laughs> that he does, yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that it's important to talk about the fact that though this is one of our favorite horror movies and it is super iconic and amazing, there is a backstory to the, to the making of this film that, you know, is important to be aware of and is that Stanley Kubrick was notoriously brutal to the people that were making this movie. And in particular, Shelley Duvall. Namely, Shelley yeah. Duvall. Um, I mean, there's footage on YouTube you can look up of behind-the-scenes footage of just how he spoke to her and what that quote-unquote relationship, and even though it was a working relationship, was like, it it put her over the edge. I mean, the performance she turns in is incredible. Everybody is incredible in this movie, the performances that they put forward, but the fact that they were doing a hundred plus takes and it was so meticulous needlessly in some cases, it sounds like Um, I think that is important to acknowledge that just because it's art doesn't mean you can do it at the expense of people's wellness, mental health, whatever it may be. And it's so tricky because I'm not like a Kubrick Stan, but 2001 a space odyssey is one of my favorite movies of all time. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. Everything he's done is not like mm-hmm. I I've seen Full Metal Jacket, I think once you've never seen it and it's whatever. I've seen Lolita once. I won't ever watch it again. I've never seen Dr. Strangelove. I didn't love Eyes Wide Shut. So it's not like I'm a. Everything he does is, is amazing, yeah. but he has made some really phenomenal films. But it doesn't sound like the sets were a great place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's been part of what King critiques in that i mean there's a lot of what he critiques that seems to come down to a different thematic thrust between what he was trying to do with the book and what kubrick does with the film Mm -hmm. and i think both are valuable i feel the same way about a clockwork orange i haven't seen that movie in a long time but i did like it when i was younger and in changing the ending of the film from the book they have totally different thematic impulses yeah and seems like Kubrick tends to be more cynical. Yeah. Whereas these books tend to have more optimism within them. And so it's yeah, it's it's interesting in that like book versus film. Now I have also seen the miniseries. Yeah, me too. Um and all I really remember about it is that my dad and I watched it together over several nights in his store that he owned. Um and we would just have like queso and tortilla chips and then like a bunch <laughs> of fruit because he like felt like if you ate fruit, suddenly everything else you ate that was crap was fine. I I love that logic so much. If I could have a superpower, <laughs> let me tell you, it would be <laughs> eating fruit eat a bunch of, out the junk. Eat a bunch of crap. And then if you then you if you eat a bunch of good food to balance it out. It but just... <laughs> my my best memory of that, my best, my favorite memory is um the store had drop down ceilings and he like hid the DVD, we'd rented it from Blockbuster in the ceilings that he wouldn't be tempted to watch it without me so that I (laughs) 
could be guaranteed because we usually would watch a film in one sitting, but it's like four and a half hours. Um, so I have seen all of the versions of The Shining. I've read The Shining. The movie's amazing. Yeah. You know, King doesn't like it. He calls it a Cadillac without an engine. He says it's beautiful, but there's nothing within it. He has said that he thinks it's a film that set out, that Kubrick made a film that he set out to hurt people with, mm. um, which is kind of true. But I do love this movie. So, like, yeah. what is it about The Shining? Uh, yeah. I mean, some of the things that that stick with me and especially stuck with me after seeing this sold out screening was the the music is incredible. The use of music throughout, even from that opening score and the the camera shot through the mountains and down the winding road like that just sets the that just sets up the tone so well. And then the things that are done throughout with the music is incredible but what I think, you know, there's a lot of performances that require the actors to kind of go to a 10 in this and, and really go all out. But I actually think the things that kind of stick with me the most is the amount of emotion that's expressed through facial expressions. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of just holds or slow or even like real fast push-ins on people's faces and it's just capturing reactions. There's no dialogue. And it's iconic stuff, like whether it's Danny's face, whether it's Wendy's or even Jack's, like you can sense that there's something happening with within them, that they're witnessing something that is horrifying that we haven't seen yet. Or it's it's a great device used to build up certain sequences within the film. And that really sticks with me, especially when you're seeing it projected on a huge screen. Yeah. And neither of us had seen it in the theater before um, that experience of seeing it in 35 millimeter was really interesting particularly because um the two of us and, and ashley who came with us talked a lot about how we didn't even realize like some of the differences that would occur and one of them was that the the theater was really lit mm -hmm. like it was really bright in the theater like you could see the audience um and you could see the audience moving <laughs> going to get popcorn <laughs> very busy um audience. going to the bathroom whatever it might be and it's a long movie and then when we watched House immediately after, like it started about half an hour after The Shining ended, I was like, oh, it's like pitch dark in this theater. And I didn't quite realize the difference until I experienced them back to back. Um, and I'm like, were, were movies always like that? And it's just changed and gotten darker? I don't know. I feel like there was a couple issues with uh, the presentation of the film that, that I had. I mean, like it, it, I still had a great time. But I think one was that the light that we were seeing, I think because they had a projectionist in there mm. full time. And I think they left the light on in the projection booth the whole time, just like overhead fluorescence, oh. which was just casting down into the whole thing. It's theater. probably because it's such like an old 35 millimeter that they, they need to be constantly watching it or something. Uh, yeah, like there was some of the uh, splices within the film where it jumped, which means that the frame is no longer centered. It's like yeah. kind of askew. So they had to have somebody in there to adjust the frame as soon as that happened which makes total sense but yeah leaving the the overhead lights on the whole time and again these are things that somebody including myself could have gotten up and been like hey is there any way we could do that i didn't so i'm assuming fine. they needed it on yeah and then the second thing was just like the sound was cranked like <laughs> the sound was wild it was so loud i kind of wish i had earplugs because it was 
It was ear piercing at some points. Mostly what, the sibilant sounds. Oh man, some heavy character of Dick Halloran in particular had some hitting those S's real hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that didn't wreck the experience. But what is it? What is it about The Shining for you that you love about it so much? I think it's the imagery. Yeah. Like this. So it's interesting in looking in looking a little bit more about this because I feel like I know a lot about like Kubrick making it and I feel like I know a lot about um, Stephen King's thoughts about it, but I didn't ne- necessarily know a lot about like the artistic impulses behind it. Right. More of the like critiques and, and interactions between people. So I guess that as is common now when we hear about directors asking their cast to watch some films as inspiration, three of the films that Kubrick asked the cast to watch were Eraserhead, Rosemary's Baby, and The Exorcist. Mm. And when I think about how much I like all three of those movies, um, but particularly with Eraserhead, and and to an extent Rosemary's Baby, there's a nightmare logic in this film, Mm -hmm. right? There's a certain point within this film where you're lost as to what's real. Yeah. And, you know, so it was interesting. We were watching that 101 Scariest Movie Moments. And was The Shining in the top 10? That's a great question. Might have been in the top 20. Yeah. But they were talking about, um, one of the people speaking said it more eloquently than I ever could. So I'm going to steal it here and mm-hmm. credit it to that that episode of 101 Movie Moments, that this film collapses time and space. Mm-hmm. And particularly, they were using the iconic scene of the two dead girls, right? Mm-hmm. As this, like, you know, people are simultaneously dead and alive. People are simultaneously old and young. Mm-hmm. And that's a nightmare logic, right? To square those two things away. Um, that I think always keeps me coming back to this film. Some of my favorite media is stuff that loses a concrete sense of time or logic. Mm-hmm. And I'm compelled by that both in the nightmare imagery way and in the dream imagery way. Um, even after Sun, which we love, has a sense of that, that like dream-like loss of time and space that happens on vacation or that happens in a in a summer mm-hmm. where you kind of lose hold on the concreteness of time or the concreteness of reality. And I think that mixed not mixed, but paired with the imagery in this film. Like some of these shots and, you know, the carpet that Danny's playing Mm -hmm. on and the overlook itself and the hedge maze and all of it is just so striking. Yeah. And then you mix it with this nightmare logic. And to me, it allows the audience to simultaneously experience the tension and like oppression that Danny and Wendy feel. And yet also kind of feel the unspooling that's happening with Jack. Yeah. Or like we feel like we're going mad too. Mm-hmm. As this film becomes more enclosed and more enclosed and more detached from a, a, a type of film you might normally be used to seeing that just follows a logic, right? Mm-hmm. It's really compelling. And I think I've heard, I've seen some people around the internet say they think this film is boring. They're wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think it's actually the fact that we start slow and get to a point where it's the the pressure has built that makes this film so impactful so many years later. Yeah. 
No, you're you're totally right. It is that it is that use of time and space, right? Because like we're kind of in like summertime, fall ish, and then all of a sudden we're dropped into winter. And even though even throughout the film, there's kind of intertitles with days of the week that kind of allow you to keep time with where where we're kind of at in the series of events that leads to the end of the film. You still feel lost within it. And you you start feeling the kind of isolation that our characters kind of also mm-hmm. start feeling, not just um, in terms of them being in the hotel, but almost from each other as well. Mm-hmm. And like the hotel them- itself is kind of pulling them apart. Well, this combination of the vastness of the hotel and yet the seclusion of being stuck in this hotel mm-hmm. far from other civilization, that pairing is done so well and... I, I don't know. It's just, it is such a phenomenal film. I just can't say enough about it. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Now to me though, it's not an October film. Yeah. Like I'm not compelled usually to watch this in the Halloween season. No. Is it because of the winter setting? Yeah. I like to watch it in January or February when it's like you raging kind of, storm outside. Cause you feel, but cause by that time we've already had a couple months of winter and winter can start feeling really oppressive. Especially in Edmonton. Yeah. Yeah, where like the it's dark pretty much all the time. By the time we get to to January, you know, mid December to to January, it's dark when I leave for work. It's dark when I come home for work, and and where I work in the classroom that I'm in, I get very little light. So it just feels like it's dark all day. Well, and then by January, February is also when you start hitting our coldest temperatures of the winter. Which you know, I've lived here my whole life, and I always forget that, like. Well, I forget kind of, that January, February is worse than December. Because you kind of, there's also this kind of feeling of once Christmas is over, the snow should be gone. Yeah, it's not going away till like April if we're lucky. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so like that that was interesting to me because I think of this as such a, a January, February film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, it, it definitely, it, it is horror, but it's, a different kind of horror than I usually would be compelled to in October. So the time of year was, was interesting to me. I would have loved to go see this when it's freezing cold out and there's snow on the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was there anything that you kind of picked up on this time watching it that you hadn't thought about or you hadn't seen or anything like that? And all of my other viewings of yeah. it. I'll say something that was interesting. So I thought the audience really sucked. Um, and that is not the fault of the theater, but it was a bit of a rowdy audience. And I was, we had this experience at Beetlejuice where people were laughing at some of the things Beetlejuice said that never in my entire life have I found funny. Mm-hmm. And people were laughing at Jack Torrance being abusive towards Wendy. Yeah. And that threw me. Yeah, because I've always found that character harrowing, not yeah. funny. Yeah, and that was interesting in a disturbing way to me. How different people connect to and understand the film and the characters in the film. Um, there's also a racial slur used twice that I think I always manage to block from my memory, but when you hear it in a and it's a very pointed use in a very like quiet scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole audience was kind of like, oh. Um, yeah. I, I same. I always forget about it until we get to that scene 
and it starts it starts creeping up to the moment it's used and then i'm like oh right yeah which you know i think it's seeing that in an audience and having everyone collectively be like this isn't okay and we wish this wasn't in the film Mm -hmm. Um, it just has no meaning within the film it's just ugly yeah um yeah what about you did you notice anything you hadn't before i feel like i appreciated the imagery maybe in ways beyond what i normally have even though i always have like it elevated my appreciation like the elevator scene on a big screen is pretty Mm -hmm. unparalleled yeah well and it was i agree with you i think seeing it on the big screen made a big difference with that and leading up to the the screening they were playing the original trailer for it which is just the elevator scene with a really creepy score over top Mm -hmm. and it like it got me so pumped to see this but for me, like, yeah, I agree. You know, I've never seen... Jack is not a character that you root for at all. and Not I, in the film. And I like the way that you described him as harrowing. Because I think, I think that it was, it was really easy for, you know, our, our main character, for all intents and purposes, is Jack, who's played by... Who's played by Jack Nicholson, who is a well-regarded actor at the time and still is. And I think a lot of people shit on Shelley Duvall and gave her character of Wendy a hard time. I mean, I was also like that. I mean, when, when I was growing up watching it, I knew adults that when they talked about The Shining, they were like, oh yeah, it's great, except for how annoying Shelley Duvall is. So I think as a kid, I just kind of picked up that rhetoric about it. And then as I got older... And especially on this viewing, I'm like, no, like Shelley Duvall is the hero of this movie. And she, you know, she's really put through the ringer by her husband and the things that the hotel is doing to her family. And I think she's regarded at one point, I cannot remember the line, but it, it's it's spoken of like how strong she is. And mm-hmm. she's, and that she is, and that her strength is, keeping things at bay. And I felt like I picked up a lot more with her character. And I felt like I picked up a lot more with Danny in this one of just how clever they were, they are and how smart they are. And I really respected the two of them and in a way that I hadn't before. And yeah. And I think I'm in a crowd where people are laughing and inappropriately at stuff that Jack is doing. I felt that just elevated the celebration of those two characters in my eye of just how awesome they are by people not laughing at them. There was even some people like cheering on Shelly throughout the, throughout the film too, which or Wendy rather throughout the film, which was kind of cool. So do you know that this film was not very well received when it came out? Like it wasn't considered amazing when it first came out. No. So it was, um, you know, the Razzies. Oh yeah. Uh, Stanley Kubrick was, nominated for worst director mm. and Shelley Duvall for worst actress. Mm. Um, not Jack Nicholson. No, not that I know of. Um, and it was like, it got really mixed reviews in like, it wasn't like immediately heralded as something phenomenal. And an interesting part of that is I guess, guess both Nicholson and Duvall have spoken out about how, you know, obviously since then it's considered a classic and one of the best of cinema. Um, but they've both spoken out at how, they feel too much credit is given to Kubrick. Mm-hmm. Where they say, okay, he made us do all these scenes, but we did them. 
Yeah. We did these hundreds of scenes and Nicholson in particular has said like Duval does not get enough credit for a what she went through, but B her performance mm-hmm. or maybe rather the other way around. Like her performance is phenomenal. And yeah, it's I mean, it's it is shrill and it, it is intense because what do you think it's like to be in a situation like that? Mm-hmm. Like, I think to a certain degree, sometimes it's hard to watch performances like that because they're too real. Yeah. And it's easier to make fun of it or easier to denigrate it than it is to admit that that's probably what it would be like. Yeah. And that is how you would react. It's, it's, yeah, it's really, she's really great in it. And it's a shame that she was treated more than a shame. It's, it's unacceptable that she was treated the way she was treated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, to this day, I think method acting and, and doing those kinds of things are very odd. Mm-hmm. Um, with some like slight exceptions I'll talk about when we talk about our final movie. Like there's, do you know the story of how Jack Nicholson was only allowed to eat cheese sandwiches, which he hates apparently to try and make him grumpy <laughs> for two weeks. That was all he was allowed to eat, which all I have to say to that is um, if you like comedy, please right now, Google <laughs> Tom Green, May Martin cheese sandwiches <laughs> in YouTube. And thank me later. <laughs> if you at all think Tom Green is funny or Mae Martin, or if you also have a crush on Mae Martin like me, you got to watch this clip. So good. And if you ever asked me if I would be making that connection to The Shining, I would tell you, you are. I didn't see it coming. Lunch. Didn't see it coming. But we're all about really... the twists here on Bad Dad. <laughs> yeah, Dad. Yeah. Um, I, I totally agree with you. But yeah, that was kind of my big takeaway. And then. Uh, like the last thing I'll say too is, you know, we talked about kind of the, uh, the, the best adapters of Stephen King, uh, texts, one of them being Mike Flanagan, who made the sequel to The Shining, Dr. Sleep. He mm-hmm. made the, he directed the film version of that, which we watched a couple of years ago now. And I really, this, this viewing of The Shining really made me want to rewatch Dr. Sleep because I remember really loving it. And the way that it pays homage not only to Stephen King's work, but the work that's done here in Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, I think it's done really tastefully and done re- and really well done overall. So if you're a fan of The Shining and you haven't seen Doctor Sleep, I would recommend checking that it's, out too. It's a really interesting thing though, because I know people that really, I think people who are, and and I, it's totally fine for them to be this way, but there are people who are on the like. It's Stephen King's book that is amazing and Kubrick sucks, but also vice versa. Like Kubrick made a beautiful thing from a crappy book. Mm. Um, I personally like the book and the movie. Yeah, <laughs> um, Both things are true to me. And so for me, Dr. Sleep becomes this way of like merging those two things together yeah. and taking these two things that have been at odds, um, even though, you know, Kubrick's film could not exist without the book. If whatever you feel about the original book, that that's a true truity um so there are people who i think really hate dr sleep because they feel like bringing stephen king into kubrick is sacrilege and vice versa that bringing kubrick into king is sacrilege but i think for folks who appreciate both the book and the film it's a really beautiful way of bringing those two things together and trying to honor both of them now i think wherever you stand on the book versus the film will inform how successfully you think that's done. Mm-hmm. 
How did The Shining make you feel? You know, we kind of talked about this a little bit, but having only watched it at home, it made me feel very aware of its effect on an audience, seeing it in the theater like this, for better or worse. Um, but it was very cool seeing it in the theater, and it just, it again, it kind of just put me, uh, it made me feel very, very aware and respectful of and and appreciative for the performances of all of the actors, but namely Shelley Duvall as as Wendy this time around. How'd it make you feel? I mean, it made me feel maybe less so than I actually do when I watch it at home during like a snowstorm, mm-hmm. but it did make me feel as it always makes me feel this like creeping tension and oppression. Mm-hmm. And I really like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Shining is great. I will continue to watch it for all time. And um, Metro is actually, if you live in Edmonton or close to Edmonton and want to make a trip, um, they're going to play it again, I believe, November 6th. Hmm. Yeah, something like um, that. But they're, do- they're not doing it in 35 millimeter this time. They're doing it in digital. So it'll be slightly different. Um, but seeing it in the theater is pretty special. So yeah. Highly recommend if you if you missed the boat this time around. And I guess they're doing it because people were like, ah, we missed the boat. <laughs> and they, <laughs> yeah. they want to see it. So, Yeah, great Very reason cool. to get out to the theater to see it, for, see it again or for the first time in the theater. Or, yeah, if, if, if you've seen it before, you've never seen it, it's a great way to see it. Mm-hmm. All right. Second film was a mystery movie pick. It was my mystery movie pick. And I chose the 2016 horror thriller The Shallows. It was directed by Jean-Colette Serra and written by Anthony Jaswinski. And it stars basically our only, our main character through the whole thing and just has a whole slew of side characters. But I'll just mention Blake Lively as Nancy. The synopsis is, a mere 200 yards from shore, surfer Nancy is attacked by a great white shark with her short journey to safety becoming the ultimate contest of wills. What did you think? Of the shallows. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is pure candy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Um, I do like trapped in the water movies. Mm-hmm. I do. Um, whether they go monster trapped in the water or like running out of food and running out of water and the sun's really hot trapped in the water movies or, or a combo. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like them. Now, I don't think they're the greatest movies ever made, <laughs> yeah. but I personally like them. Why did you pick it? I picked it just because I'd heard about it and I have been hearing about it since it came out in 2016. And the kind of the rhetoric around it is it's kind of regarded as one of the best shark movies since Jaws, hmm. which is pretty high praise. Uh-huh. And I just, I think that... uh and I'll, I'll just I'll just say it. I don't think any shark movie is ever going to top Jaws. I think that the best shark movie has already been made, and it is Jaws. It's also a totally different kind of shark movie. Yeah, like Jaws is about hunting a shark. Mm-hmm. This is about this is more of like a survivalist movie. Yeah, like this this to me is much more in line with 127 Hours than it is with Jaws. Yeah, I agree. The similarity is the shark, but it's it's so much more like a 127 hours yeah or even a descent than it is a jaws yeah like it kind of subs in that thriller 
subgenre as opposed to an adventure subgenre. This does? Yeah. Well, but Jaws to me isn't even Jaws is just a drama with horror elements. Mm. To me, I don't I don't think of Jaws as an action or adventure movie. You do? Interesting. Well, I think it's kind of re- like it's typically given the Well, I mean, I am the expert and Right. <laughs> interesting. Um, yeah, interesting. But yeah, like I mean, I think that like I knew that this wasn't going to be amazing, but I am always kind of curious when I was especially curious when it was given that kind of praise as being the best shark movie since Jaws. And, you know, I, I knew what the concept was just based on the synopsis, which, you know, it, it felt very like phone booth esque or something yeah, like that. So, you so know? to me, it's more like phone booth than it is like Jaws. Yeah. Or like panic room. Like, so, like yeah. somebody is stuck and isolated it's a somewhere. circuit. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's what I had heard about it. So I was, I've, I've been curious about it for a long time and I'm like, okay. It's it's creepy PPCs and let's so do it. I do also like closed circuit movies a lot. Um, now, one thing, and I think I may have mentioned this. I've likely mentioned this at some point. I really struggle to consider monster movies horror. Right. Like to me, to me, this is not a horror movie. Monster movies in the sense of like animals being the monster or just mm, like, like even the host to me is not a horror movie. Mm. Like I don't even really think of the thing as a horror movie. Interesting. Like, and I think it's just a subjective thing. I don't find that kind of stuff scary. I'm not going to get trapped on a rock. So, like, I'm not going to go surfing by myself and get trapped on a rock. So, like, what do you kind of, because I'm assuming you, would you put Alien in there as well? Yeah, I don't consider Alien a horror movie. Yeah. I get it. I, I, people who are listening and are mad at me, I'm wrong. I know. But, but no, I think, I think you're right though, because I, I think a lot of people consider Jaws a horror movie. I do not. No, I I would never think to watch, watch Jaws in October. And I never I want to watch it in the summer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's a kickoff summer movie. And like Alien, I always think of it as sci-fi. There there are a bunch of other genres I think it falling under before I get to horror. Mhm. Yeah. Another good test of that is would my brother watch it? He would never watch a slasher. Mm-hmm. Never. He will never watch Saw. He will never watch Nightmare on Elm Street. He couldn't handle signs. He was a child, but like, <laughs> like he will not watch those movies, but he has seen Jaws. He likes it. He's never seen The Thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's ever seen The Shining. And that's another one to me. The Shining is like more horror than some of the things we just mentioned, but it also doesn't come top of mind as a horror movie to me. Mm-hmm. I think it's the horror elements in these movies like Jaws and Alien, Alien slash um and The Shining that like elevate them for me because I love horror so much, but I don't think of them as first a horror movie. I think of them as first a drama and then the slash horror. Right. This I don't think of as a horror movie at all. I just think of it as like a survival movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. So, yeah. So it's interesting to me in that way. Now to get back to the movie, I did find it quite engaging. Like I think like Lively did her absolute best you can do with a movie like this. And it was like, like I said, it was pure candy. It was fun to watch. It got a little increasingly silly, like as they started to show the shark more. It's like, I personally think some pretty bad CGI, but. Yeah. I mean, I felt like the shark, like it mostly looked good, but yeah, it's just that thing. The more they showed it. Yeah. And where that kind of, you know, I feel like you can be in two camps, like thinking back to Jaws. 
a lot of people have the comment that once you start seeing more of the shark, you're just like, oh, that looks fake. I don't think it looks fake. But now because they <laughs> did it all practically, when they start doing showing more of the shark in something like the shallows, where it is fully a CG shark, now we're like, yeah, it yeah. looks fake. <laughs> yeah, and it's, you know, it goes some places by the end of the film that I very rarely struggle to suspend my disbelief. I'm like, it's a movie. Like, enjoy it for what it is. Yeah. But when the movie's attempting to be in a realistic vein, mm-hmm. then I'm like, well, you're breaking the bounds of what you set out to be. Mm-hmm. And I did find it really hard to suspend my disbelief by the end of the film. Yeah. So here's what I'll say about it. I liked the middle a lot. Yeah. I thought the ending was pretty cheese. Yeah, sorry. The beginning and the ending I thought was pretty cheese as they try and give her some kind of like heft in like her character. Yeah. The story of her character is pure cheese. Um, Yeah. And they do a legally blonde (laughs) ending. Like I actually thought if it had ended where I thought it was going to end, it would have been a stronger ending. And I'm just like, oh, we could have inferred all of the things that you want us to infer that you you didn't need to give us this little like coda at the end for us to understand all those things like trust your damn audience yeah um but i was engaged while watching it how about you i agree with you the the middle is kind of the sweet spot and there were some very visceral moments in this where the things blake lively was going through i was wincing at some of them or we were both like whoa whoa but the the backstory they tried to bring into all of it was so hammy and yeah it just it it didn't work for me as we saw more of the shark one thing i will say though not to just totally dump on this movie is that Blake Lively kills it yeah she she does a really great job like she she gets she gets put through a lot of different scenarios throughout this whole thing and i think she does a good job of reacting in a way that i think that most of us would probably react and uh i i i appreciate the the kind of character, just because of the kind of character she is, she is, her resourcefulness and her how tactful she is, and and the the problem solving skills she has to do, and just what the things she has to endure. I think she handles it really, really well, and plays it and play and plays it really well because I think it's really easy to to you know just go full ham with with something like this. But uh, and another thing I really liked was all the underwater shots. Like they do a lot of camera work underwater that show kind of waves and, and stuff like that. And a lot of like slow motion kind of camera work, which I think is, I thought was, <laughs> I thought was really cool. Um, you made a comment that made me laugh that you were like, I bet it's really hard making movies like this. Cause you just need to be wet the whole time, <laughs> which, yeah, I, it just, when you start thinking about that, it's just like poor Blake Lively. It was probably so cold all the time. Or just like uncomfortable. Right. Because like, even if you're not, I think a lot of the water shots are CG too. Like, I don't know that she's always actually surrounded by water. Um, but they've got to make her look like she is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Seems yeah. awful. Yeah. So good for her. She did a good job. Yeah. But it's a candy movie. Yeah. It's a put it on. Turn your brain off. Yeah. Yeah. Don't got much more to say about about it. It's not as good as The Shining. Uh, so how to make you feel? It made me feel engaged, but in a very forgettable way. Like Ooh, yeah. I probably in a year won't remember this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like it, you know, as we were watching it, and I was like, "What's that one that's like based on the real story?" And like, 
like it's just all of these shark survival movies kind of blend into one movie to me. Um, and there was nothing. Yes, Blake Lively is is great in it, but there's nothing that is going to make this stand out from all of the other shark ones that I've seen. So I I don't quite agree with the best shark movie since Jaws, or I guess the bar is just really low for the second best shark movie. Mm-hmm. What about you? Yeah, uh, I already said it, but I I feel like no shark movie will ever top Jaws. Um, I feel like there are some good elements here, but. Uh, that were engaging, but I like what you said. It was engaging, but forgettably so. And it was fun, but I won't watch it again. And it, if I ever get a craving for it, I'll just look up the best clips on <laughs> YouTube. But yeah. Next movie. I picked it. Yeah. I got a mystery movie pick. We only got uh, one each this week. Mm-hmm. This is mine. Uh, I picked the 2021 horror drama We Are All Going to the World's Fair. Directed and written by Jane Schoenbrunn. Um, And for context, as we talk about this, in case you don't know Elliot, uh, Jane Schoenbrunn uses they, them pronouns. Okay. uh, Non-binary director. Um, It stars Anna Cobb as Casey and Michael J. Rogers as JLB. And that is basically it. Synopsis. Alone in her attic bedroom, teenager Casey becomes immersed in an online role-playing horror game wherein she begins to document the changes that may or may not be happening to her. For those of you who are newer listeners, you may not know that we tried to see this in the theater. Mm -hmm. We've spoken about this on the show. Um, But I got the time wrong. And I thought it was like a seven-ish show. No. Wrong way. I thought it was like a nine-ish show, but turns out it was a seven-ish show. So we, the theater metro that we go to is about a half hour drive from our house. And we are just about approaching the theater. We're on the road that's there. And I'm looking on Letterboxd because Elliot's driving. And I see some people I follow who live in Edmonton have just logged it. And I was like, what? But it's only playing once. (laughs) And I look and I got the time wrong. So we were approaching the theater as the movie had ended as opposed to when it was starting. And so we never got a chance to see it in the theater, even though we had wanted to. So I picked it now. Mm-hmm. What do you think of we're all going to the World's Fair? I mean, you know, despite almost seeing it once and then now you picking it, I still didn't know much about this movie going in. I didn't look anything up. I don't know if I even saw a trailer. If I did, I, I've, I totally forgot about it. Um, but my impression going into it was I'm like, okay, I thought that this was just going to lean really heavy into like creepypasta territory and it was going to be like, I heard it was good, but you know, I, I just kind of thought it was going to lean into that sort of thing. Maybe it'll be a little bit like channel zero, but I went deeper than that. Uh-huh. It, 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 it really hit me when the credits rolled at the end, it hit me in such a heavy way that it's what it was one of those films that just sat with me and I had to kind of I had to pull it apart in my head a little bit more and 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 really sit with it. So what's interesting to me about that is I am really grateful I got the time wrong. Cause I think this is one of those for me rare horror or not horror movies, but movies that worked better for me at home than it would mm-hmm. have in the theater. Because I think it's a really personal experience with this film Mm -hmm. and i think seeing it in the theater would have depersonalized it Mm. this is also really divisive like the folks i follow on letterboxd 
it's kind of like four to five stars or like half star to two stars. Right. There's not a lot of like three, three and a half in there. It's very like you like it or you don't. Yeah. And some people that I really respect have hated it. And some people that I really respect have loved it. And so I was like, I feel like it's going to be one or the other for me. And for me, like you, it sat really heavy in me. Um, I found it really haunting. Mm-hmm. Like there's not scary, but haunting and deeply discomforting. Mm-hmm. And some of the things that that are more of the horror-ish elements in it, and I've heard some critiques that this film perhaps shouldn't be marketed as a horror and that maybe that's where some people have ended up not liking it, is that it's much more of a drama with some like unsettling elements. Yeah. Um, but some of the imagery got straight to like imagery that just like seeps into my brain and makes me want to die. <laughs> yeah. And I also personally am like deeply disturbed by home video, internet video, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And I think it's that idea of like you might accidentally see something you don't want to see. Yeah. Like I'm like scared of the internet for that reason. I'm like, I don't want to accidentally click on something and then see something that like it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And now I'm like, just got forced to watch something I never wanted to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, that like anyone can send you anything at any time. And yeah, um, it's the one part of Sinister that like scared the crap out of me were like the home videos in it. Yeah. Um, and, and so that play in that way really freaked me out. Yeah. Which it might not for everybody, but like that stuff gets right under my skin. And I think it's why I like like creepy pastas and. Mm-hmm. Well, and the the movie does such a good job. And I feel like, again, this is another way that it could lose people is that it's a very slow burn. So it's, oh, yeah. it's building tension and it's building this sort of dread. And exactly what you're talking about, this dread that you might see something that you don't want to see. And I feel like it really captures the truth of living a life with the living life with the internet existing mm-hmm. um there are, there's lots of scenes within here where our main character of casey is staying up all hours of the night just on her computer on the internet and i can relate to that when i was a young person mm-hmm. and the internet was coming up in full storm and becoming more accessible and more things you were able to do more things online staying up until three in the morning and finding yourself in kind of discovering the weird corners of the internet. And, and then, yeah, eventually you do come across some stuff that you wish you hadn't seen or that just kind of bother you in a way that, you know, even it's not, if it's not disturbing, you're like, Oh, I I think I took a wrong turn somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, what's interesting is, I mean, this is really focused on video, which I feel like when we were, young and i also was staying up till three four in the morning on on the internet um it was much more text-based yeah like it was msn messenger and it was like neopets and like you weren't able to interact with people via video in the same way and like you know youtube was not what it is now and if it even existed at all i don't know what year it started um but despite this being very video focused, it felt really relatable to me mm-hmm. in that way. And this, you know, I've heard a lot of really beautiful things said um, online about how this film really captures how that the internet can simultaneously be this thing that is connective and yet deeply isolating at the same time. Yeah. 
No, totally. I, I actually got a lot of um, sort of similarities to Bo Burnham's film, Eighth Grade, mm. in that idea of kind of projecting a persona or personality or finding a voice that isn't necessarily the true truest version of yourself and just kind of finding a way to use that voice to bear your soul online Mm -hmm. and seeing both sides of that when it's that persona is turned on and turned off and what you're like in real life as opposed to your online life i mean and and where's the line between those two things it, it posed a lot of those kinds of questions for me Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that added to the power of the film by the end of it. Yeah, it's a really reflective film. Yeah. And it's one that like I'm looking forward to revisiting. Mm-hmm. Um, we watched it on Hoopla. Hoopla has garbage subtitles. I, I freaking hate garbage subtitles because, I mean, as much as I hate it, it's difficult for us to watch it. Somebody who actually can't hear the film or actually needs the subtitles to be able to pick up what is going on in the film. They're out of luck. Yeah. And and the issue with these subtitles are they blip in and off the screen too fast to read them. Yeah. They are appearing when they should and what they say is correct, but they don't stay on the screen long enough to read. And that's, yeah, I get really, this is actually the first of two, uh, streaming services we used this week where the subtitles were atrocious. Yeah. And yeah, it gets frustrating for me because we like to watch things with subtitles, but then I'm deeply angered from an accessibility point of view that like this film is inaccessible to someone who needs to access subtitles to be able to engage with it. Yeah. Um, which takes the fact that Hoopla is a way to watch film with your free library card and which should be accessible and makes it inaccessible. So, uh, well, it, it's such a crappy thing because that is a that is a hoopla problem. At least I believe it's a hoopla problem, but I feel like it's really easy to project that sort of negative experience onto the film. Yes. So totally. So somebody could totally dump on we're all going to the world's fair for that reason when it's not even a them problem. No. And that's that sucks. That's unfortunate. So this movie, I really liked the ending. Mm-hmm. Because it's the opposite of a legally blonde ending. It's like <laughs> yeah. an unresolvable resolution. You mean I it love. trusts its audience? It trusts its audience. <laughs> so great. Um, that's all I have to say about that. But do you know about the freaking killer cast for Jane Schoenbrunn's next movie? No, I know nothing about it. Okay. You don't even know what it's called? No. So they have a movie. It's called I Saw the TV Glow. That is First of all, amazing. That's right? a great title. Here's some of the people who are in it. So Daniel Deadweiler, she's from The Harder They Fall and The New Watchmen. Okay, yeah, yeah. Bridget Lundy-Payne, who's from Atypical. They're a non-binary actor. Such a crush on them. Justice Smith. Mm-hmm. You know who that is? Yes. Amber Benson, Tara from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. Emma Portner, Elliot Page's ex-partner. Oh, yeah, yeah. Snail Mail. What? Phoebe Bridgers. What? Fred Durst. What? <laughs> what is this even? Is there like a synopsis or anything? Yeah. Do you want to know what it's what it says it's about? Yeah. Just give me a give me a, un, a single moment while I type it in. What do you think of that cast though? That's wild. Really runs the gamut of people. 
follows two teenagers who bond over their shared love of a scary television show when the show gets mysteriously canceled. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited. That's, that sounds great. And with that cast, you got to imagine that uh, there's a bigger budget. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I am so excited. Um, this film, I know divisive. I know people are either really loving it or really hating it. But I think regardless of how you feel about it, like Jane Schoenbrunn shows such um, ingenuity and like a unique vision. Mm -hmm. And I'm really excited to see what they do when they're given perhaps more opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. This film was, this film was really incredible and made even more incredible by uh, Anna Cobb. Who, oh, she rocks it. Who's our lead uh, as Casey and just mesmerizing. I've also heard a lot of love for the score. Yeah. By, I think, Alex G. Yeah. Which reminded me of Alan M. from Josie and the Pussycats. <laughs> That's all I kept I don't thinking. think there's a connection. But, <laughs> I'm just like, man, um, where are they getting all of these people from Riverdale? I also saved a bunch of, uh, not a bunch, like a handful of pieces uh, that talk about reading this through a trans lens. Mm. Um, this film and Jane Schoenbrunn identifies as like trans non-binary. Um, and then I've just been too busy to read them, but I am excited to read them. And I think there's been a lot of really thoughtful stuff written about the film. So any film that can produce that kind of discourse and dialogue, regardless of how like it's received by every person who watches it, I think is a really important thing to exist in the world. Yeah. hundred percent. I had a couple more points I was going to say about it, but you know what? I'm going to, I'm, I'm not going to speak to them because I, I feel like going into this film, not knowing a ton about it was to my benefit. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, I think you just put a really nice point on that. How did we're all going to the world's fair make you feel other than like the title's awesome. Let's just be honest. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Um, yeah. Inexplic inexplicably heavy and in a way that I like having that as a takeaway from films, mm -hmm. like where it just kind of, it hits you in a unique way that you maybe haven't felt before. Um, that's a, yeah, that's a really special thing. What about you? It gave me a deep sense of dread and discomfort that stayed with me. Mm -hmm. And I also like that. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're freaking sick. So sick. <laughs> but let's, uh, let's lighten that heaviness and give ourselves over to absolute pleasure. I'm so excited to talk about this. So we went to see at Metro Cinema the 1975 comedy horror musical, The Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, 1975, it came out the same year as Jaws, and we have a poster in our house that it just has the infamous red lips on the cover, and it the tagline just says, a different set of Jaws, mm -hmm. which is just like so brilliant. I love when you can be referencing something that's going on in the time. Is that an actual... Like movie poster? Yeah. Where the heck do we get that from? Um, in Edmonton, there used to be a place called, I believe it was literally called the movie poster shop. But was it like an OG poster? Yeah. But did they like reprint it? Um, I mean, probably. But it was like. But it's a, what would have been up in the theaters. Yeah, because the legit movie theater posters have the image on the front and then they have a reversed image on the back. So and that has that? Yeah. Oh, wow. It's cool. I spent a lot of money on it. <laughs> um, we're about to take a week off and finally put artwork up in our house and try and get some rugs because our whole house is hardwood and we could don't got no rugs. Um, we're slipping everywhere. <laughs> we are. I 
slipped in cat puke the other day. Brag so, about it. <laughs> no, I'm saying <laughs> you're hurting me by talking about slipping everywhere. <laughs> um, yes, I'm excited to put up artwork and including the poster for this and post some pickies on our Instagrammies. Yeah. Um, okay. So the Rocky Horror Picture Show is directed by Jim Sharman and written by the original score for this was originally a musical play uh, by Richard O'Brien. He did all the music and Jim Sharman wrote the screenplay for the movie. Great cast. So the, the great Tim Curry played Dr. Frankenfurter, a scientist. Susan Sarandon <laughs> played Janet Weiss, a heroine. Barry Bostwick as Brad Majors, a hero. What? <laughs> Richard O'Brien as Riff Raff, a handyman. Patricia, Qu- I'm going to rattle all these off because they're amazing. Patricia Quinn as Magenta, a domestic. <laughs> Little Nell as Columbia, a groupie. Uh, Jonathan Adams as Dr. Everett V. Scott, a rival scientist. Uh, Peter <laughs> Peter Hinwood as Rocky Horror, a creation. And Meatloaf as Eddie, an ex-delivery boy. <laughs> <laughs> the synopsis is a newly engaged couple have a breakdown in an isolated uh, area and must seek shelter at a bizarre residence of Frank, Dr. Frankenfurter. So the conditions of this film, like I said, it was showing at Metro cinema. It was a sold out screening and we were like, okay, it's sold out. We get an email from Metro show up half an hour early. We're like, no, no an a- a- did you say half an hour? It's at half an oh, hour. Okay. And we're like, no, well, you know, we just came to the shining and it was a bit of a shit show in the lineup. So, and Rocky horror, pre-pandemic they showed rocky horror every october it was kind of a and it always sold out it was a must-attend event we had never gone before to metro um i had seen it in the theater at the leduc theater but that was a totally different experience to what we experienced here but we're like okay let's show up an hour early and we should be fine we're freaking first in line (laughs) like we showed up oh like great there's no lineup but we we started the lineup yeah and we were also an hour and a half early no, yeah, you're right. We were like, but yeah, we we gotta get there, but we just stood in the cold for longer than everybody. Yeah, else. we're we're too keen. Um, so some of the things that they had here was there is a costume contest, uh, part of this, and the majority of the friends we went with dressed up, which was which was pretty fun. I dressed up as Transylvanian. You dressed up as Frankenfurter. Our buddy Ashley dressed up as Janet. Uh, our buddy Tabitha dressed up as Columbia. <laughs> and our buddy Nadine dressed up as Riff Raff in an incredible I costume. think that she got like the number one costume prize for Riff yeah. Raff. I, it, I have to point out Ashley did all of the costumes except for the Riff Raff one. Like we wouldn't have dressed up the four, the other four of us if Ashley hadn't put everything together. Yeah, she's she's our craftiest buddy. And she is very resourceful and loves putting this kind of stuff together. So like she made me a cummerbund. She made me my triangle for my surgeon's outfit. She did my makeup. Yeah. It was great. It was great. It was super fun. And yeah, they had this whole costume contest component to it where they were giving out prizes and judging based on applause. I've, I feel like I won the whole thing because though I didn't get a physical prize, um, the, the person that was judging it referred to me as a dainty David Byrne. And I will take that to my grave. That yeah, will be I on my epitaph. epitaph. Yeah. Elliot, here lies Elliot Cuss, a dainty David. Byrne. <laughs> um, 
It was also um, in addition to them screening the movie, the there was a shadow cast performance that was going to be happening uh, throughout the entire thing, which I I had never seen that before, but was pretty great. Who are the folks that that put that? Uh, on? Low down, cheap little punks, which yeah. I think is the name that shadow casts have like all across the globe. Mm-hmm. Um, so low down, cheap little punks, Edmonton. And it was it was great. They were also kind of leading the audience participation. Oh, the person who who like did riffraff and like ran the costume contest. Really loved that. Yeah, they were they, they were just on it, and you can tell these were all folks that just live and breathe Rocky Horror. Mm-hmm. Um, Metro was also kind enough to be selling uh, little prop bags of all of the props that you you throw and toss and uh, and use throughout the the course of the film. Um, which was, which was also just like a really nice touch and that they were imploring people to participate and, you know, even though Despite it is quite messy. messy, it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a portion where you throw rice and I was still picking rice out of my hair and my shoes when we got home, when we got home, but it was a blast. Um, I have a pretty unique history with Rocky Horror, but before I get into that, what did you think and what do you think of Rocky Horror? It's always a tricky question when it's something that we have a history with. Um, I love Rocky Horror Picture Show. Me too. And yeah. we have such different histories with it. Mm-hmm. What's yours? Delve into yours. <laughs> I don't know that you knew my history with it, did you, until you were talking about it the other day? Mm-hmm. So my history with it is I was somewhere in the junior high age range. And one night I was on the couch in my living room in October I'm going to say it was somewhere, yeah, somewhere between 12 and 14. No one else was home or around. I don't know where everybody was. I have three siblings, and at the time my mom would have been around. I don't, I mean, my mom's still around. I don't know what I'm <laughs> saying there. My dad wouldn't have been living with me anymore. Um, but no one was around. It's pitch dark out, and I'm on Channel 5, which is like the TV Guide channel. <laughs> oh, man. And just like looking for something to watch. Mm-hmm. I like horror movies, and I see Rocky Horror Picture Show, and I'm like, I don't know what that is, but... It just title. started and okay, let's check it out. And I go to watch it thinking I'm going to watch a horror movie. <laughs> Not a horror movie, just a super sexy movie. <laughs> yeah. And I'm fairly certain that I was attracted to near everyone in the cast. Great bisexual awakening movie where it's just like, oh, I have a crush on that person and on that person and on that person and on that person. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> What's <laughs> <Yeah>. happening? <laughs> um, <laughs> And I guess it was uh, just as good to be watching that by myself in the dark as it would have been to be watching a horror movie because I needed (laughs) to experience that on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've always since then wanted to go see it at Metro and just have never been able to get my stuff together to be able to see it the night it's playing or to get a ticket before it's sold out. So this was pretty magical for me. Mm -hmm. What's your history with Rocky Horror Picture Show? I've been watching... Rocky Horror Picture Show for a very long time. Perhaps too long, but <laughs> I'm thankful for that. Um, yeah, like I said earlier in the episode, we had this VHS collection and I there were some covers of VHS tapes that I always went back to that always stuck with me because I really love the cover art. And one of them was Rocky Horror Picture Show with the red lips on the cover and the drippy bloody title of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um. So, and I always refer to it as the lips movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I started watching this when I was like two or three years old. 
It explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like my my parents love telling the story of how like I loved watching the Lips movie. I always wanted to watch the Lips movie. Um, and they let me watch it because, you know, they're like, he's young. He doesn't really understand what's going on here. He just likes watching it. It's colorful. There's music. Yeah. And music's great. We'll get into that. But it kind of started getting to a point where I'm like, what are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my parents are like, okay, maybe we like pause watching Rocky Horror for a little bit until he can kind of understand this a little bit more. Yeah. Because... Um, don't really want to explain to a two or three year old what Flatio is. <laughs> um, yeah, I think probably not. Um, but I I picked it up again once DVDs became a thing. So I was like late elementary, junior high age. About the same time as me then. Yeah. And we this was one of the first DVDs that we got because it's uh it was well known that this was my dad's favorite movie. Like of all time. Of all like time. The way Jaws is to you, Rocky Horror is to your dad. Yeah. Like he grew up going to, like he knows all the audience participation beats. He he knows all of the, even like the the less popular ones that are said throughout the movie. He knew all of that because he grew up going to that Would stuff. Would he dress in like corsets and stuff? Do you know? I don't know. Hmm. Don't know. Um, But I always knew growing up that this was his favorite movie. It also explains a lot. Yeah. <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a different way. In a very different way. Um, but yeah, he got the DVD and I devoured the DVD. I devoured all of its special features and the different versions that came with it. There was a whole audience participation version of it. I watched that. So I started picking up on and knew what some of the uh, beats were for the audience participation. Um, oh, you were friggin' on it i missed so many of the moments and like with all of the sudden, props yeah i'd be like cards and your cards are in the air and i'm like whoa how did he know <laughs> <laughs> you didn't miss any of the moments <laughs> um but yeah I, I i watched it through junior high i started showing it to my friends in like junior high high school i remember showing it to my buddy ben and like he really loved it and we watched it together and then I, I think since you and I've been together, I feel like we watch it like once a year, would you say? Close to. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, I feel like it's kind of responsible for starting me on my queer journey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you, do you know when you picked up the DVD again, revisited the movie in that like junior high age range, did you think it was sexy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's so gay. Yeah. But it's it's like... All aspects of it are sexy. And, you know, it's I've, I've heard a lot of conversations about, you know, the question of consent in this movie, mm -hmm. which is super valid and important to talk about. Yeah. And we were talking about this in the car ride home about how we kind of view some of those moments as like role play as opposed to like violation of consent um, mm -hmm. and kind of the, the audience being in on that. In a very, it's a, in a very queer way, mm -hmm. um, but I do think those are really valid conversations. Yes, I can't deny though how what you just said. This film is so essential when I look back on like a queer awakening, mm -hmm. and it's still so sexy. Yeah, it's just such a. But then also the music is so fun, so and good. it's so funny and it's so campy and 
it does have those horror like a love for horror within it mm-hmm. so one of the things that was most special to me is knowing your history with rocky horror and particularly knowing how you called it the lips movie mm-hmm. that as we were getting ready like as the movie was about to start the lights are going down the kind of main narrator of uh low down cheap little punks starts a chant of lips, 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 <laughs> yeah. lips. And like everyone, 500 people in the audience are all going lips, 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 <laughs> lips. Is that, do you know if that's typically done? Or I was that special know. for us? Because it was really, felt like a real full circle moment for you. And I yeah. think you had a big smile on your face. I did. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I can't remember yeah, if that's something that happens every time. But yeah, it, it, it did. Uh, did bring a little twinkle to my eye it was so cute um oh man this was so fun um as we've said multiple times the music in this is incredible what's your favorite song oh i don't know it's like a three-way tie between damn it janet sweet transvestite and um touch a touch a touch touch me (laughs) (laughs) of those songs Sweet Transvestite is definitely the sexiest. Tim Curry is so sexy. <laughs> yeah. Frank and oh, yeah. is so sexy. But so as um, that scene is about to happen, I didn't even name Time Warp. Time Warp is too mainstream. It's but great. It, it's great. It's, so it's great. It's so good. But everybody likes the Time Warp, even people who don't know what it's from. It plays at all the weddings. It plays at all the grads. But as like right before the Sweet Transvestite scene is about to happen... I was sitting beside, so we went with, there were seven of us all yeah. together. Um, and so it was. And, we, and having there been seven of us, we got killer seats. Oh, yeah. Well, that's because we were first we, in line. We hustled. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We were a little first in line. Everybody got, well, you didn't get a prize for your costume. You got your prize comment. But everybody else got prizes. So we uh, we all were going up on the stage. But there were seven of us. So it was our friend Aiden, our friend Ashton, Ashley, me, you, Tabitha, and Aiden. That was the lineup. So I'm, a, I'm in between you and Ashley. Ashley leans over to me and goes, this is my favorite scene in any movie ever. <laughs> it's so cute. <laughs> and I said, ever? And she goes, well, it's definitely the one I've seen on YouTube the most. <laughs> um, and it was just like, I don't know. There's something about- It was so joyous. Seeing this was like seeing your favorite band in concert for the first time. Yeah, yeah, where yeah. You're just yeah. like, everybody here loves this or is showing it to someone they love who has never seen it. Mm-hmm. And like just people are singing along and like there was just so much joy in that building. Well, and they've done they they did a screening earlier this month. This was their second screening, but this is also like this is the first time coming back from a pandemic. And it, it was the kind of the same kind of feeling when we went to the screening of the room at Metro. Mm-hmm. Like we're coming back. Metro is in full storm continuing traditions that they had pre-2020. And I think that there's just a lot of emotion tied up in that of how important these events were to so many people and are to so many people. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there was a a feeling of that that was present as well. Oh yeah. It was, it was so fun and there was like so much camaraderie Mm -hmm. in the audience. Like I think all of us were pretty nervous to like get up on the stage for the costume contest. (laughs) Yeah. Um, We were some very, the Transylvanians were the first ones to go up. We were all very timid. <laughs> and I felt so so much pressure as like the last person to go up. Like every time you and I have gotten tattoos together, I'm always like, can I just go first? Like I don't like the anticipation of stuff. Like mm-hmm. I just want to get it done. Um, you mean the anticipation? 
Um, <laughs> but as I was like walking down, somebody, another Frankenfurter who was dressed in like the same, there's many different versions of Frankenfurter. And we, we were both in like the surgeon's gown version turned to me and was like, did you make that necklace? Like, it's so incredible. And I was like, my friend did <laughs> like, it was just all really beautiful. Like it was really, really lovely. Mm-hmm. Then the movie starts and you can just see, not even see, you can just feel the joy in the mm-hmm. room. Um, and having the, the shadow cast to like cue. Um, I know that a lot of what's happening with the shadow cast is like common across all theaters. Yeah. But I would be so remiss to not mention one that certainly is not common to all theaters, which is the movie starts in Denton, which is apparently a like crappy little town. Mm-hmm. And there's a line about like somebody not living in Denton or they're leaving Denton. And the person who's playing Riff Raff, the kind of like person who's doing a lot of the like bigger call outs shouts, well, everybody leaves Denton. It's worse than Leduc. <laughs> <laughs> and for context... Me and you and Ashley are all from Leduc, like lived mm. there our whole lives. My mom's still in Leduc. Ashley's parents are still in Leduc. Like, your parents got out of there. Uh, but Howled. We howled. Howled. Could not stop laughing. Thank you, low down cheap little punks, for that um, wonderful joke. Um, what's my favorite song from it, you ask? Um, <laughs> Elliot, uh, what's your favorite <laughs> song from Rocky Horror Picture Show? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Um, science fiction double feature. Oh, I forgot about that one. It's it's the song that kicks off the whole thing, and the reprise at the end is like I find it so heartbreaking because it fills in gaps from the opening song with like things that transpired from the plot, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's just such a melancholy sort of ending to it. Like it's it's both joyous and really sad, but just uh. Yeah, that song is like what a great opener to what is an incredible movie. What's your what was your favorite? Uh, I think I know the answer to this, but what was your favorite shadow cast joke? Um, <laughs> there is a recurring bit with the the there's a criminologist who is kind of a, a a narrator who is kind of breaking down the scenes and setting up scenes for us throughout the movie, and his outfit is obscuring his neck. So he doesn't look like he has a neck and there's so many bits about where's your neck. (laughs) Oh man. That just like had me cackling. And there was a lot of stuff too, with like them using their shadows to move parts of the picture (laughs) that were so funny, like scaling buildings or like pushing, (laughs) pushing, pushing things around. It was, it was amazing. I also have to say, I'm, I'm sure that this is common to like shadow casts across the world. But I loved that um, gender didn't matter for the shadow cast, right? Like, oh, yeah. You know, that they had different, like, folks with different gender presentations than, like, the actors from the film mm-hmm. playing Rocky, playing Brad. And I really loved that. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that, like, I mean, that's the ethos of this film. Basically, Rocker Horror Picture Show is a gender and sexuality reverie, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's. Yeah, as they say in the film, don't dream it, be, be it. it. I really loved that. And you could just tell how much the shadow cast loves what they're doing. Like members of the shadow cast were doing the um, V for Virgin mm-hmm. out at the front, <laughs> which is like if you've never been to a theater showing, then they put a V in with lipstick on your forehead. Yeah. 
Um, I got mine on my wrist because I had my Frankenfurter makeup all done up. So, mm-hmm. which I don't usually wear makeup, so that was. But our buddy Tabitha, right in the middle of the forehead. <laughs> yeah, that's. I think uh, somebody said something to her about like doing it. She's like, it just adds to the experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was very very sweet. Um, yeah, seeing it in the crowd was amazing. I want to. I want to circle back to Tim Curry for a second. Uh, yes, please. Because I was uh, I was reading up like this is his first theatrical role. But he was Frankenfurter in the original play. Yes. Um, but in terms of being on screen and like he's a pretty like well-regarded screen actor, I think his most iconic roles are probably this as Frankenfurter. Um, Pennywise. Pennywise from the TV series, TV miniseries of It and uh, the, the, <laughs> the, the lobby boy of the hotel in Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. <laughs> and Clue. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the fact that this kicked it off is is great. Um, but there's something that is just so undeniably sexy about him in this in this movie. And there's just <laughs> there's just it doesn't even matter who you're attracted to, everybody's attracted to Tim Curry in this movie. Like, how can you not be? So the director has said that like Tim Curry's Frankenfurter is the man every woman wants to be and the woman every man wants to be. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's and I would add be with. Like Yeah. There's like there's something there's a lot of moments throughout the film where he breaks the fourth wall and looks right into the camera. You kind of can't help but like blush a little bit. <laughs> it's like, damn, don't look at me, Frankenfurter. I'll be your Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, and there's some bits that I've seen this movie so many times. There's some bits that I still howl laughing with just how funny it is. Oh yeah. And just beats that you're waiting for. I, I like I'm sitting as I'm sitting there because we haven't watched it in a while. I'm just like, "Oh yeah, this is coming next. Oh, this is going to happen next." Just like I love watching films that way where you get and it happens in the next film we watch as well where you're just like excited for the next thing to happen. Yeah. Um, as weird as it may sound, this is a very important childhood film for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like um, just the way you talk about having seen like Jaws and other things when you were so young, I'm like, I love the person you are, but why did your parents let you watch all these movies when you were a toddler? <laughs> <laughs> it's a great question, but I am grateful for it. Um, do you know that the movie studio attempted to convince Richard O'Brien to have a like all famous cast and they said they'd give him a really big budget and he refused to do it and so had like a very minuscule budget but was able to control who was in it. That's awesome. Good for him, right? For the better. Yeah. Like yeah. he he wanted much of the original cast to be like I think Magenta Columbia him like as Riff Raff and Frankenfurter are all the original mm. cast. So would be like would the quote unquote most famous people in the film have been like Barry Bostwick and Susan Sarandon? But I don't even know how famous they were at the time. Seventy five. Yeah. I did read that Susan Sarandon didn't actually even audition for the role, that they were like struggling to um find someone for Janet because they said like people just weren't playing it with enough humor. Mm. And she came to visit visit Tim Curry, who was already cast because they're friends. And they were like, oh, can you just like, can you sing for us? And she was like, I don't like to sing. I'm phobic of singing. And they were like, just sing happy birthday. And then they were like, we want to cast you. So it was all just like coincidental that she got cast. Incredible. 
Everybody's incredible in this movie. Oh, yeah. This movie is so great. Yeah. I love it so much. It is so fun. It is so sexy. It is so gay. It is so joyous. It is so weird. Mm. I just love it. Yeah. It's uh, when I was re-logging it on Letterboxd, I think I had it sitting at a four before, but I think seeing it with this audience and having this experience and just reflect being reflective because of the nature of our show and prepping to talk about it on the, on the show and reflecting on how important it's been for me in my life. Now it's an easy five for me. Would you go see it at Metro again? hundred percent. I've heard maybe, maybe it might be coming back in May. Well, you'd go again. Yeah. I'd go again. Would you dress up again? Yeah, probably. It also, I have to, before we close this out, this made my Halloween dreams come true because I love Halloween. I know I'm a stereotype. I'm a hot topic, nightmare before Christmas, Halloween loving. Basic lady. Yeah. I know it. And I don't care. <laughs> but you have dressed up with me for Halloween once in our entire lives. The year we started dating, a week before we started dating. Mm-hmm. We dressed up as Charlie Brown and Lucy. Mm-hmm. But we weren't dating yet. We started dating. Less than a week later, our anniversary is coming up. Lucky number 13. Um, And you never dress up with me. I come up with all these cool costumes and we never do it. And I want to decorate the house and it never happens. And Ashley made my Halloween dreams come true by getting us all in costumes. And we've already posted a picture because it's so cute. And if you haven't seen it, go to our Instagram at baddad.raddad and look at the beauty of my Halloween dreams. You know what? Just thinking about it while you're while you're speaking just there. I I'm ha- I'm happy to dress up. I just this is gonna sound rude. I don't like putting the thought or the effort into making the costumes. I am totally fine and stoked to put them on and share in that moment. But if somebody else like totally like I know I told Ashley I'll just pay her to do it for us every year and she said gladly. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. If I, I have at least five years worth of costumes in my brain. That's great. We'll do them all. We'll Perfect. and we'll pay. <laughs> we'll pay Ashley to make them for us. Uh, Wonderful. Um. All right. Let's button this sucker. How does Rocky Horror, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, make you feel? It makes me feel so joyous and so sexy. You? I wrote down the same thing. Exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. Um, Soulmates. And seeing it in the theater also. It implored me to come out of my shell a little bit because like you talked about, like I I'm a pretty shy person. So like if you're asking me to go on stage at just kind of and be social and, you know, just immediately come out of my shell, I'm very hesitant to do that. And I don't like doing that. It makes me feel uncomfortable. But I usually after the fact, I'm like, I'm glad that that happened. So I was also happy that 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 happened here as well. Beautiful. Yeah. All right. Let's do this last one. <laughs> this is one. such a banger of a week. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We, um, yes, I know Halloween is over for those of you listening right now. But when we watched this last night, it was the Saturday of Halloween weekend. And um, we caught wind that our good buddy, Ashley, who if you listen to this show, you know all about her. We've talked about her lots today. We talk about her almost every episode. She's been on the show. She's been on the show. We discovered... That not only has she never seen Scream, but miraculously, 
knew nothing about it. Totally unspoiled. She knew the ghost face mask and that was it. Yeah. She didn't know the opening scene. She didn't know the ending. She knew nothing. And when I found that out, I said, we got to watch it with you. Yeah. So last night, we got some real sleepover energy on without the sleepover part of it. And we went to Ashley's house and we watched the 1996 absolute banger scream horror mystery Mm -hmm. directed by the incomparable Wes Craven written by Kevin Williamson starring I have to name so many of them because this cast is really great do it Nev Campbell is Sidney Prescott Courtney Cox is Gail Weathers David Arquette is Deputy Dewey Skeet Ulrich is Billy Loomis Matthew Lillard as Stewart and Rose McGowan as Tatum synopsis A year after the murder of her mother, a teenage girl is terrorized by a new killer who targets the girl and her friends by using horror films as part of a deadly game. We both absolutely love this movie. Love it. But what was so special about this was showing it to someone who had never seen it before and didn't know what was going to happen in it. Mm -hmm. What did you think of Scream for the 10 millionth time? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, like you said, I love this movie so much. It is one of my favorite horror movies, probably a top five. Oh yeah, uh, it's favorite so horror good movie for me. Um, yeah, I, like what a gift <laughs> watching this with Ashley, who miraculously has had this unspoiled. Um, and the whole, just as a a bit of a tangent, after going over to Lori's place last week and watching a couple of films, and now going to Ashley's house and watching Scream with her there. We've been rocking this just junior high vibe of going to your friend's house and watching movies and just having a blast and eating snacks while doing them. Oh yeah, Pers- and I'm reveling in this in this in the, in this junior high feeling. Particularly yesterday, because the best TV in Ashley's house is in this like bedroom, mm-hmm. which has a like a three seater couch in it and a big ass TV, and that's the whole room. <laughs> yeah, um, and they don't have a TV in their living room, just like we don't. And when we got there, Ashley had like set out a bunch of like floor pillow type things mm-hmm. and like set up the room in this real sleepover vibe kind of way. Mm-hmm. And we watched it in a bedroom and it felt so like, oh, mom and dad are out for the night and we're watching yeah. a scary movie upstairs, even <laughs> yeah. though like our friends own this house. <laughs> yeah. And we're all full we're all, on adults. <laughs> yeah. We're all adults with careers and homes and, uh, but it, that's what it felt like. And it was so fun. We made matzo sticks in the air fryer. Had a bunch of candy. Ashley and... spilt popcorn all over the couch. Yeah. We had boba tea. It was great. Yeah. It was so fun. Yeah. It was, it was so lovely. I'm curious, like what's your history with scream? Like, do you remember how you first came across it when you first watched it? Anything like that? You know, honestly, I'm starting to forget everything. <laughs> Part of the reason making this show is great because I'll be able to go back and look. I have no idea when I first saw this movie. I really don't. Probably high school. Mm. Do you know? Yeah. Tell me. Tell me um, about it, Stud. So I watched it on my own when I was like nine or ten. <laughs> I just keep shaking my head. I just want to point out, I was as cool as you. I was just reading horror. I wasn't watching it. Because yeah, I had yeah. I had three siblings. Getting access to the TV unfettered by yourself was nearly impossible. But I could go in my little closet space and read scary books. So I was reading books well beyond my age. 
See, that's fair because I had my own like little TV VCR in my room. So yeah, I, I was able not. to like lock myself away and watch movies. No, I, I had to. It had to be approved by the whole family. And considering mm. I have a little brother who doesn't like horror movies, good friggin' luck. Yeah, no, that's fair. But yeah, like I was nine or 10 years old and I'm like, Monica from France is in it. Excellent. This is going to be good. <laughs> and Drew Barrymore is in it. I like her. That's Elliot's sister from E.T. And I actually dressed up as Ghostface in like grade three or four. <laughs> That's how much I liked it. I'm like, oh, I want to be the killer from Scream. Do you know what I dressed up in was in grade seven? Hmm. Carrie. And the costume yeah, yeah. was friggin' amazing. And I didn't win the costume contest because nobody knew who I was because I was too cool for the other kids. Nonsense. Somebody who dressed up as Mulan and shouldn't have. Oh, God. Won. Ah, appropriation for the win. <laughs> yeah. God. 2002 for the win. Um, but yeah, so I, like, I've been watching this thing for so long. And I remember I remember being homesick in like grade five. And I think all three of them were out, the first three, and just like binging all of those while I was sick. I I loved the whole series. This is something I was thinking about last night is that I scream. I think is the only horror series that I've seen all the movies. Mm. Hmm. Very close with Saw, but gave up. I think I've seen six of them. Right. And it was, it just made me think like I've never felt compelled to like watch all of the Jason movies or all of, I haven't even really seen Friday the 13th. We watched like a TV edit, which sucked. Mm -hmm. I've only seen the original Halloween and then Rob Zombie's two Halloweens. Like I've never felt compelled to watch all of them because I know they're not good. Yeah, I'm more compelled to watch Nightmare on Elm Street, but again, I've only seen the first one. And it made me think that like, for me at least, the reason I've seen these is because they came out when I was older, right? So it was just like, yeah, go see Saw 2, go see Saw 3 in the theater, yeah, right? Go experience it. And that's been the case with Scream 2. Have all of them been amazing? No, but it's like, there's a new Scream movie out. Let's go see it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, well, that's a good point. We've seen them all. I was just thinking you said Friday the 13th. I was just thinking that our anniversary is next Friday and it's our 13th anniversary. There's got to be something to that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we got to watch Friday the 13th that night. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Getting back to to Scream, this, this movie is, I feel like it's so smart and clever, but it was interesting because watching it with Ashley, who has never seen it before, it made me realize and re um, kind of revive my, well, I already appreciated it, but revive my appreciation for how scary it is. Totally. So Ashley, I love watching movies with her and she knows that I feel this way because she's very um, expressive when she watches movies. Yeah. She jumps, she screams, she gasps, she cries. I cry, but that's usually about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and particularly when we're at home and there's no like social contract of the movie theater. She screamed a lot. (laughs) And like, I've always thought of scream more as a comedy than a horror. Yeah. It totally just depends on what lens you view it through because based on her reaction to it, I was kind of required to view it as a horror and it actually is so much scarier than I ever really think of it as. Yeah. And like really upsetting. Like some of the stuff, particularly some of the stuff at the end and some of the performances are really deranged and upsetting. Oh yeah. And some of the stuff is totally brutal. Yes. Um, 
And it's interesting because, I mean, I, I feel like I totally saw it through that lens of it being a legit scary movie the first time, first few times that I watched it. And then as you begin to watch more horror movies and become more of a horror fan, you realize and pick up on the things that it's critiquing and riffing off of and doing that brilliantly. So to have it kind of had this full circle effect back to, oh no, it's terrifying and brutal and upsetting. And quite graphic. Yeah. And it's just like Wes Craven, this master of horror, partnered with Kevin Williamson, struck gold with this. It's so like it's just and that is part of the story of the film, right, is that they were struggling to get it to an R rating and not an NC-17 rating. And a producer who I will not name because they don't deserve it um, told the MPAA to view it as a comedy instead of a horror. And that's what got it to an R rating. Hmm. So it's totally about what lens you bring to it. If you see it as a comedy, it's going to seem more funny. If you see it as a horror, it's going to seem more scary. But it it works really brilliantly as both. Mm-hmm. Um, the opening scene in particular is horrifying. It's and iconic. It's not only iconic in the scheme of horror movies. It's one of the best opening scenes ever in anything in any movie. And and watching it again, so blessed to watch it with someone who knew nothing about that opening scene. Yeah, like it was so amazing to get to like relive it for the first time through that mm-hmm. um because it's so good yeah yeah man this i was a little worried with ashley seeing it for the first time like it's very meta but mm-hmm. it was meta before meta was everywhere yeah and i'm like is this gonna is this not gonna hit as hard now that everything's meta mm-hmm. but she did seem to like that but it still is like it's a film that appreciates horror and loves horror even as it commentates on horror. Yeah. Like it's not making fun of horror. It's loving horror while it acknowledges what horror is. Yeah. With so many wonderful homages from like the name Loomis, which is like an homage of an homage mm-hmm. to like poking fun. I love the line like what like a West Carpenter film. Yeah. Um to like Freddy Krueger references. It's just Well even yeah, like even the line <laughs> like Wes Craven made the original Nightmare on Elm Street and there's a line in this that's like Yeah, I like the first one but the rest of them sucked. I read trivia about that that Wes Craven was going to take that line out because he thought it seemed egotistical because I don't know if he made any of the sequels. No. And then Kevin Williamson said, no, this is what a horror fan would say. So if we're keeping it in here. <laughs> yeah. At least I don't think he made any of the sequels. Might I have don't to know. fact check me yeah. on that. But yeah, it's, it's, it's great. Like it's just, again, just like it, it has a full understanding of the genre that it's in and where it can pull references from and what works within the genre really well. And the ghost-faced killer is an icon That'll be remembered forever and will go down with Michael Myers, Freddy, Jason. Do you find the mask scary? I th- I find it unsettling. Mm. Um, yeah, there's just like something about it that is simultaneously harmless, but imposing. Mm-hmm. 
Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I go back to the word smart of how this movie is approached because the reveals and the misdirections throughout are incredible. It's just, yeah. If you haven't seen Scream and you haven't had it spoiled for you, God bless you. But highly recommend checking it out. If you can, Shudder would be preferred because Crave's subtitles yeah. are awful. It was so strange because it was just that they were missing chunks. Yeah. Like there'd just be like three lines that had no subtitling for them. Yeah. And then everything else would be fine. So yeah. um, once again, inaccessibility. Frustrating. frustrating. But Shudder has not let me down subtitle wise yet. So yeah. Love this movie. Probably watch it at least once a year for the rest of our lives. Incredible. It's one of my absolute favorites. Last year, we got to see it at Metro. Yeah, it was sold out then. That was fun. And it was one of those ones where you could just feel the love for it in the audience. Yeah. Although. (laughs) Yeah, you can tell the story. Oh, man. I tell the story a lot. Maybe one day the people who are in the story will hear this and reflect on their uh, judgments. But we were waiting in line. It was sold out and um, it was quite a long lineup and the theater hadn't opened yet. And there was two younger people in front of us who looked like they were probably late junior high, early high school age. And um, they had like dyed hair and some funky outfits and they're talking about you know, being excited to see it. And the lineup's quite long and most of the people look like us. Mm -hmm. And I just hear them say, everyone here is middle-aged and straight. (laughs) And I was like, excuse me. Step off. (laughs) I am, at the time I was 31 years old, which is hardly middle-aged. And neither of the people standing behind you are straight and you don't know anything about any of the other people standing behind you. Like... Oh, to be a youth. <laughs> youth. Uh, but And then, to make matters worse, they took our favorite spots. They had the exact same stinkers. That's <laughs> yeah. right. I forgot about like, that. You just totally uh, erased my sexuality and called me older than I am. <laughs> and now you're going to take my spot? <laughs> and then they were going on about how the craft had so many gay people at it and why are there no gay people at Scream? And they're like, yeah, this isn't a gay movie like The Craft. And I'm like... <laughs> Oh, contraire. I think Scream's pretty gay. (laughs) (laughs) But whatever. Um, But it was really fun to see it sold out at at Metro. And if they play it again, I will happily go. And I will happily continue watching Scream for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. How does Scream make you feel? It it makes me, again, to use the word joyous. But this particular viewing, it made me so excited and lucky and fortunate to re-experience it in this way and have that kind of full circle moment happen by watching it with our buddy Ashley. How about you? I just feel like Scream as a film represents my love for horror, but encapsulated into a movie. Mm -hmm. And it makes me feel that love. Yeah. So good. And then it just makes me want to watch. It makes me want to watch A Nightmare on Elm Street. It makes me want to watch Halloween. Mm -hmm. It makes me excited for new horror movies that are coming out. And I just think what a love letter to the genre 
while being such an amazing movie in its own right. Yeah. While also poking fun at all of the stuff about the genre that is a little silly and we know it. Mm-hmm. Ugh. It's perfection. Truly perfection. Okay. Let's get to naming some rad dads and some bad dads of the week. Who is your bad dad nominee? I feel like we got the same one. On you want to say it at the same time? Uh, yeah. First name, okay. last name. Uh, yeah. Uh, three, two, one. Jack, Jack Torrance. Torrance. Of course. I mean, I feel like he is the most iconic bad dad. Yeah, they're they're in a in a week of different movies. There's people who would have won, but when you pit them up against Jack Torrance, he's the ultimate bad dad. Yeah, particularly in Kubrick's film version. Yeah, exactly. I mean. There's a, there's probably a laundry list you can go into here, but I I chose two words. I chose I chose I chose I chose abusive and selfish. Yes, I said awful. <laughs> what a good description! Bingo, bango. Uh, violent, dangerous, selfish. Yeah, uh, no argument here at all. So, um, Jack Torrance, prick off, kick rocks, you stink. All work and no play makes Jack a bad dad. (laughs) (laughs) Truly, that's good. Okay, rad dad. I was kind of bouncing between two and one. I was as well. One was just like a cooler pick than my other one. (laughs) But but we'll see. I'm going to look to you. Who's who's your rad dad nominee? I picked Dewey. Okay, nice, nice. I picked David Arquette's character of Dewey. Um, From Scream. From Scream. I think he's incredibly kind. I like that he lets his sister rag on him, but he never takes it out on her. Like he just kind of lets her do that. Mm-hmm. I like that he is protective, but he also gives everyone space. Mm-hmm. Like he's not like, okay, well, I'm camping out in your room now. He's like, the phone rang. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to be at the party, but I'll let the party exist. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just, I just really like Dewey. Yeah, that's fair. I uh, I picked Sydney Prescott from from oh. Scream, and I I at first I kind of dismissed her a little bit, but when I kind of thought about it, I I really like her and the dad energy she's bringing. Like I love that she stands up for her own decisions and her boundaries that she sets up for herself, and she's and she sticks to that. Like even if she's like pressed on it a little bit, she's just like no, like I I'm I'm setting I'm setting this up mm. and. I'll I'll let you know when I'm ready to let that boundary down. I, uh, she's I I think she's super resourceful and clever and smart, and she's very strong-willed. When she wants to achieve something, uh, she goes for it if she wants to do it. Yeah, she's just like very, very clever and learn. And she's like she learns from experiences she has in her life. I also think what I like about that is thinking about her throughout the series as well. Yeah. It's hard not to. Yeah. Cause uh I'm into it. I did I did consider Shelley Duvall. Nice. Yeah, I considered her and I also the the one that I, I think is actually like a pretty good choice, but was wasn't as cool was uh Blake Lively from The Shallows. Like No, it, I, I think in I a think week so. where we have Scream and The Shining, I'm like The Shallows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I'm into it. I think Sydney Prescott is fierce AF. All right. Um, Sydney Prescott, be your dad. dad. I feel like we both got a bonus daddy, <laughs> yeah. of course. I, I, much the way that Jack Torrance is the ultimate bad dad, 
I feel like the ultimate daddy, daddy is Frankenfurter. Is Dr. Frankenfurter, <laughs> that sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, talk about a person that's just like my sexuality. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> yeah. I want to be him. I want to be with him. Yeah. And I want to be with all the people he's with. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Frankenfurter. Tim Curry, you and like just particularly Tim Curry as Frankenfurter. Yeah. I yeah. That scene is so sexy. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Once we're through uh blushing here, let's get to a rad wreck of the week. Um, yeah, so you know, we're kind of wrapping up creepy peepee season. And uh, we want to send it off with uh, a rad wreck that, you know, is for both fans of horror or people that are maybe, you know, just want to dip a toe into the horror genre. So we're we're recommending the YouTube series, The Kill Count. It's hosted by uh, the producers over at Dead Meat. But what we really love about The Kill Count is that it's a really fun lens of looking at different horror movies or genre movies that are closely tied to horror. And it's through the lens of breaking down stats on the kills that happen throughout a film. But it also goes through the entire plot of the movie and gives you some behind the scenes information, uh, some bonus details about the production or about the actors or the filmmakers And it's a pretty fun commentary of the film itself without actually having to sit through the entire film. So I I know that we've heard from people who just can't really handle sitting down and watching horror movies, that this is kind of their way to be in the know of horror movies and what they're all about without actually having to go through the trials and tribulations of sitting through a horror movie. Um, And then, but also on the other side of that, as a horror fan, it's fun to, Watch um, James A. Janice is the host of the show. Watch him kind of break down all of these films and add his own commentary to it, and uh, and this sort of background information that he likes to do. So, yeah, I believe they drop a new kill count every Friday over on YouTube. They also ha- have a bunch of other content they have on there too that you can explore. But the rad wreck of the week this week uh, is the kill count series over on YouTube. Check them out. But thank you all so much for listening. We drop a new episode every Thursday. Until then, you can follow us and slide into our DMs on Instagram at baddad.raddad, over on Twitter at baddadraddad. You can get a sneak peek at what we've been watching on our individual Letterboxd accounts. We'll have some links for those in the show notes. And we would absolutely love you forever if you could drop us a rating, review, or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. And don't forget to listen to our guest spot on Queer Horror Cult that just came out yesterday. Oh, yeah. Very excited for that. So check that out as well. Well, that is going to do it for these two creepy peepees this week. So until next time. I'm Kylie and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot and my dad's a deadbeat. But remember. Not all dads have to be bad. (laughs) 